Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. We started off with an exciting week this week here at Jew in the City. We just released a brand new video, which you can check out on JewInTheCity.com, and it is called The Skin Gap. And this is probably our most controversial video to date, which is always a great teaser to get someone to want to watch a video. Um, Basically, I have a sister who was a women's studies major at Barnard many years ago. And as she was becoming observant, she kind of saw something interesting that we had never noticed before about how men and women dress. That's totally normal and expected in the secular world. On a hot summer's day, um, your average guy wears cargo shorts, which go to around his knee, and a, you know, a polo shirt, which goes to around his elbows and covers everything in between. And the woman by his side wears short shorts, tank top, low cut, midriff exposed. This is just normal American wear. At a formal affair, the guy wears a suit or tuxedo covering his toes to his neck to his wrists and everything in between, while the woman by his side, as you guessed, has strapless, high slit, low back, miniskirt, you name it. And this is just normal. This is what is expected. But my sister made this comment that it seems kind of imbalanced and unequal. And I thought about this more, and I realized that this inequality actually begins like when kids are babies. Um, as young as three years old, you'll see in a store that little girls' shorts are short shorts, and tank tops are given out for girls, and boys are given full T-shirts and full and and you know longer shorts to wear. And this phenomenon continues until one of two things happens. One of two things happens to a woman. She either exceeds a certain number in age or pounds. She's either quote unquote too fat or too old to meet the Western beauty standard. And then our society tells her, put that stuff away. We don't want to see it. So anyway, we decided to name this phenomenon here at you in the city and we call it the skin gap. Now, obviously, if someone is forced to dress and he is forced to be modest but and they're not choosing to do it, or I don't agree with that. We believe that everyone gets to make their own decisions when they're grown-ups. But what I think a lot of people don't realize is that they see the Orthodox Jewish women that choose to dress modestly and see them as subjugated when really there is this exploitation and silent subjugation of women in the secular world. So anyway, the way that we... Um, sort of show, give over the skin gap and this um, inequality and inequity of uh, skin coverage is by switching what the men and the woman are wearing in our video. We did ask a Shiloh, we got a sock that it was okay to do. So anyway, you can check out the skingap.com right now on Jew in the City. And speaking of getting to showcase your ideas in videos and movies and, you know, kind of taking ideas and bringing them to life. We have with us today an Orthodox woman who has been spending most of her life taking her great ideas and making them come to life. Um, she is a development producer on the FYI series Arranged, and we are so excited to have Ronit Poling with us today. Ronit, thanks for joining us this morning. Hi, thanks for having me. So um, I'm not sure if you got a chance to see the skin gap yet, but you should uh, definitely check it out. Um, we were it talking. sounds very interesting. Um, I always like to be a little controversial here. So um, now, you know, I got involved with, you know, film-related stuff, but I'm a Balchuva, but that is not your background exactly. What, what's your background growing up Jewishly? Okay, so I'm from Philadelphia, uh, northeast Philly to be exact. I grew up Orthodox. Um, I went to an Orthodox day school called Polish Hebrew Academy, and then for high school I went to Torah Academy, which is the girls' high school in Philadelphia. And, um, yeah, you know, out of town in the schools, you have girls from all different backgrounds. You have the more right-wing, based Yaakov types, 
to the mononorthodox types to maybe even less than that, but everybody gets along and everybody's accepted. So it was a very good basis um, for making me a pretty open-minded person today. <laughs> and would you say that your family was more on the right-wing side of the orthodox spectrum or the modern orthodox side or more centrist or... Um, those are hard. Uh, we were definitely in the middle. Mm-hmm. I mean, my father is an aeronautical engineer. He went to Princeton. Mm-hmm. Um, he designed the F-14 uh, at a time when there was a quota on Jews in Princeton, actually. Mm-hmm. So he was somewhat of a trailblazer that way. Cool. Um, and he's very American, a very, like, Americanized person, third-generation Philadelphian. And my mother was raised more, like, right-wing, what you would call the Yaakov type. Um, she has a Hasidish background. So I, I guess it was a real hybrid mix. Got it. But it probably taught you to, uh, like you said, see kind of the, the whole world with nuance and, um, and sensitivity. So... Yeah. It, it, so I agree. Yeah, I was gonna... I'm sorry, what did you say? I was going to say, it, it basically taught me to accept people and to be able to relate to all different types of people and to see the good and, and what they can each offer instead of just seeing the externals. Totally. We are big fans of that around here. So, okay, so you are this centrist Orthodox girl growing up and out of town, um, as we call it in New York, and you get this bright <laughs> idea to start writing plays and getting into theater. How, how does that happen? What Take us through the journey of when you decided you wanted to start writing and how the first play came about. Okay, so it definitely didn't happen overnight. Um, when I was in 12th grade, I directed my first play um, in Philadelphia in the School of Torah Academy, and that was a wonderful opportunity. I know in New York they take uh, married people or uh, high school graduates to direct the plays, but in those days they took a member of the class, and I was so excited to be chosen, and I really just fell in love with directing. I had already fallen in love with acting. I had already, like, starred in uh, the high school plays and even elementary productions. I I usually got, like, a leading role because drama was my passion. But once I directed that play, I I just fell in love with it. It's like a whole new world was open to me. Um, but I didn't yet imagine writing plays. I had always liked writing. Um, I had always been good at it. I won writing scholarships and different things. But I didn't not, I didn't see it as a career, and I didn't really realize that I could meld my love for writing and drama into, like, one profession. Um, but then when I came to New York, I was teaching in the Shackle Bar Park. I was teaching English. And my co-teacher was directing a play, a very large-scale, big-budget play in a school called Beishakov Drav Meir, the kind of play where a thousand women show up per night for, like, five nights. And she needed a good script. And she asked me to help brainstorm with her an idea for a script. And during the brainstorming sessions, I just found out that I was going beyond brainstorming. Like, I was really forming a storyline in my mind, and the storyline just kept coming to me, and, and I was envisioning the characters, and I was envisioning the interplay between the characters. It was really magical, and it was it was just like a surreal process, because it was happening so smoothly, it, it, almost like otherworldly. I, I don't know <laughs> if that makes sense, but the creative process is pretty cool. And um, basically, she ended up uh, loving the storyline I proposed and convincing me to write this play. 
And um, it was the first play I ever wrote. I, I had just moved to New York from Philly as a, I was in college. And, um, yeah, it, it was a, a very big hit, Baruch Hashem. And then the call started pouring in. Like, I kind of un, untapped something. And people started, um, like, other schools started calling me. They wanted to rent this play. And the following year, I was asked to um, write another play for a different school and also to direct it. So that was my first time directing a play in New York. Like I said, this very big budget <laughs> musical extravaganza where we have like 5,000 women at a time. Um, and yeah, I, I just loved it and I never looked back. And since then, I've directed about 15 plays in New York. And did this become your full-time job or this has always been like a side passion? No, so for many years it was a side passion. I was um, teaching and I was also a school psychologist in Beis Bar Park. And every year, like during play season, which <laughs> in this world runs like from maybe October through January or February, I would be busy with a play. And I ended up writing half a dozen scripts and directing these plays. Um, and then in the summer I would direct them in camps as well. But it was still a side job. And then at a certain point, I realized, uh, you know what, I, I want to make this uh, into a more full-time career. It's what I love to do, and life's too short, and just follow your dreams. Oh, you don't need to tell me that. People sometimes are like, do you have a real job? And I'm like, this is my life. First, <laughs> <laughs> you in the city was a very ex- expensive hobby, but um, I, I'm all for going for your right. dreams. Now, at a certain point, you went from live acting, live writing, directing, acting, and then you got onto the screen. So can you tell us a little bit about Inc. and this, um, I think you kind of made history by making a production, a film by ultra-Orthodox women for ultra-Orthodox women. Can you tell us about that? Sure, exactly. That was so exciting. It was totally groundbreaking, and we were just thrilled to be pioneers. We, We felt it as we were doing it. Um, what happened was that after I directed so many plays, um, first of all, I would meet a lot of the graduates because these were high school plays. So I'd meet graduates at weddings or bar mitzvahs or whatever, and they'd say, like, oh, we missed play. We missed doing a play. That was the best month of our life and the camaraderie and the fun and the chance to use our talents. And we miss it. We wish we had something like this in our lives now. But there really was nothing like once you graduated 12th grade, you know, that's it. It's, it's over. And I found it to be very sad, especially a lot of these talented girls had really no outlet for their talents. And I also realized that, like when I just alluded to a play season, you know, there's a few months in the year when all the schools have their productions, but the rest of the year, there are no plays. And if you miss it, you miss it, you know? So I said, to Sarah, why should, first of all, it be such a finite uh, period in the girl's life that she gets to uh, enjoy this creative expression? And why should audience members be also confined to such a small calendar period when they're able to watch entertainment? Um, and that's when I decided that I wanted to make a film. I wanted to make a movie specifically for Orthodox women by Orthodox women. And this had never been attempted before in America, and it was, it was very groundbreaking. It was a little bit nerve-wracking because although we felt like pioneers and we were so excited to be making this movie, um, I'll, I'll just jump ahead. I wrote and 
directed it, and I, I came up with the script, and I gathered, um, I gathered like the best actresses that I had trained over the years as the actresses in my movie. Um, so although we felt like, you know, we're, we're doing something so exciting and pioneering, there was also a bit of nervousness, like, how would this be received? Um, I remember thinking, okay, this will either be a massive hit or I'll be excommunicated. You know? That's how I feel about everything <laughs> I do, Renee. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's one or the other. There's no middle ground. This will be horrible and all the rabbis will be against it and yeah. I'll never get married. At the time, I wasn't married. you know. And even my mother was saying, like, why do you need to do this? You need to get married. You know? Wait, so when can you tell uh, us when, when this occurred? What What year was this when you were working on this? This was 2006. Got it. Ten years okay. ago. It came out in 06. Yeah. And, and the wow. landscape was just a desert. I mean, it, we take for granted today, like, on Pesach and Circus and Kalamaz. You know, there's so many movies you can easily find a movie. But at the time, there just wasn't any. So um, I give a lot of credit to all the people that came along on the journey with me and uh, believed in me and, and in the project. Uh, on the night of <laughs> the movie premiere, I like to say I was like more nervous that night than like by my wedding. Because <laughs> by my wedding, I thought I meant to say, you know, it, it will work out good. Here, I really had no idea. Yeah. Um, and I came there, and there were just lines around the block, like huh. around the block. And it, it was just such a festive atmosphere. People were so excited. Like, we can't believe, you know. Uh, there's a movie that we're allowed to watch. This was a kosher movie. This was something specifically, uh, specifically geared to them, which had never happened before. But let's Another just take a I moment here say, for anyone listening who's outside the Orthodox community. There are people who will watch secular movies with, meaning like screening them ahead of time, like reading about what the movie's about and making sure that, you know, it doesn't cross over any lines, meaning like there, there is a population that does that um, within the bounds of halacha. So I'm saying for the people that issue all, you know, um, secular media, that's just a certain section of the orthodox world. So this was a real oh, outlet definitely. for them, but that's not, that's not all of orthodoxy. Definitely, definitely. This, this film was being geared to like the most ultra of the ultra orthodox. Right. This was specifically right, right, right. geared and so, to the people. So they were excited to come out and watch because kind of, they needed it. What kind of feedback did you receive after they saw it? Like, meaning they were excited to, to get the chance to watch it, but what did they think of it? Yeah, it, it, it was amazing. First of all, they loved it. Thank God they, they just loved the storyline. Um, the storyline had lots of suspense, it had a very strong message. And they really reacted positively to it. Um, basically, we just we weren't prepared for the flood of positivity. Like we didn't put out enough chairs. Like we would put out three hundred chairs, and four hundred people would show up. And then we would say, like, I'm sorry, it's full. And they'd say, please, like, we've never seen a movie before. We heard it's amazing. We'll just stand in the back. Like we had one pregnant lady that literally stood on a table for two hours because she wanted to watch this movie, and people wanted to give her a seat. And she's like, no, no, I have a better view over here. Like, this is so exciting. I'm, I'm finally getting, number one, I'm getting to watch a movie, and number two, I'm, I'm engrossed in the plot. So that was the greatest compliment. They, uh, people literally came over to me afterwards, took my hand, and thanked me. And they said, like, we've, we've never been able to do this before. Uh, film didn't meet our kosher standards, and 
we did not watch things by our choice, um, and now we can, and we just did, and, and we loved the experience. So it was it was really heartbreaking, and heart no heartwarming, <laughs> not at all heartbreaking, very heartwarming. So I'll tell you, I made another. Sorry, what'd you say? I was going to say, I made another movie since then, and I know many other movies have come out since then. And, uh, you know, I've gotten tired of the feedback from my second movie, and I've been to other people's movies that were wonderful. But I don't think, like, ever again in history there will be that exact mood. You know what I mean? Because yeah, people go to a movie, okay, it was good, it wasn't good. But, uh, you know, that, that, like, first time gratitude, I would say, was, was just so magical and surreal, and I, I don't think that will ever happen again. So fine. So you had a great success with your first movie for all Orthodox women, and you decided to do more. And then, as if playwriting and directing and movie writing and directing isn't enough, you get the bright idea that you should be doing something for television. So again, this right. is um, I, I love sort of the bold thinking, and I love the risk taking, and I love. Sort of the idea that you don't know what your own limits are or kind of what you shouldn't be able to do because you weren't a trained writer or director or producer and yet no, you no. decided to go to television. So tell us about how, how your journey to Arranged began. Sure, sure. And I'll, I'll just add, I actually went to film school after I made my movies, which is, <laughs> I uh -huh, feel like ignorance is bliss. I never went to film school, so I have no business doing what the heck I'm doing, but I do it anyway. <laughs> so continue <laughs> with your I know, I always say, if I would have known how hard it is, I wouldn't have had the guts to start. You know, sometimes you just have to jump into things and... I was always raised. My mother always told me, Roni, you can do anything you want. Just, you know, follow your heart. If you work hard, if Hashem helps you, you can do anything. Reach for the moon. So, uh, yeah, and I specifically enjoy uh, projects that are trendsetting and with that slight bit of risk inherent in them, like, like moving things forward. Like one of my big reasons for making Ink, um, this movie, was that I it bothered me that, some people in the Orthodox community were not um, watching movies at all, and, and that the medium was considered not kosher. I said, you know, film is a medium like any other medium. You can use it for the good. You can use it for the bad. There's nothing inherently problematic in film. It's just there had not been a film geared to these people and their sensitivities, but the same way there can be a kosher book, they can certainly be a kosher movie. So yeah. for me, the next logical step was, okay, so we did theater, we did film, now let's go on and see what we can do in TV. Cool. So what, when did you, did you know what you wanted to do in TV at first, or when did the idea of this specific show hit you? Okay, so I was always bothered by the portrayal of Orthodox people in the media. Um, I don't know if that sounds familiar, Allison, or if, <laughs> <laughs> if you've ever thought of that. I know that's like your reason for existence. <laughs> but <laughs> I, too, was always bothered that uh, if you saw um, a Jew, particularly an Orthodox Jew on TV, most likely they were being indicted for a crime. They're going to the courthouse in handcuffs. Um, or maybe there's some stereotypical portrayal of them in a sitcom, like The Nerd. Um, 
we're big, big Seinfeld fans over here. So it always bothered me, the rabbi, I don't know if you watch Seinfeld, but the uh, um, <laughs> the rabbi who hits on Elaine um, in the episode is really this caricature of a, of a nerdy rabbi. So basically I started thinking, I want to put normal Orthodox people on TV. I want the general population to be able to see and get a glimpse into the lives of regular Orthodox people who aren't, you know, nerds or white-collar criminals. <laughs> um, and specifically what hit me was the our interesting ways uh, surrounding dating and marriage. Like, we totally take for granted, or some segments of the ultra-Orthodox population, we take for granted that it's so normal we date for a month, right. and then we marry the person three months later. And right. that's what I did. That's what all my friends and relatives have done. Um, but it hit me one day that to a non-Jew or to a non-Orthodox person, that is totally outrageous. Right. That's like fascinating and ridiculous and crazy all rolled into one. Right. Uh, and also interesting. Mm-hmm. So I hit upon the idea that that is what we could possibly showcase. That would be pretty interesting to the general population. So I had worked with a certain production company in the past, a TV and commercial production company, and I approached the head of the company with the idea of making a show about Orthodox people, um, specifically related to their dating and marriage, the couples themselves, like from the dating period through the wedding, through even post-wedding, like how they get along afterwards. And possibly using other nationalities as well, because we have some Indian neighbors in Philadelphia that I'm very close with. We're, we're, our families are very good friends. And they also have these kind of marriages. They have like real arranged marriages sometimes. Uh, so that was my idea. I pitched it to the company. They were very interested. They had also been thinking about doing something with different nationalities and possibly marriage. Um, so it was a great partnership, and they asked me to serve as the development producer, mm-hmm. which means the producer that kind of guides the show's development. Mm-hmm. So one of the first things I did was to uh, cast and produce a sizzle reel, which is like a trailer, like yeah. a mini-show showing potential networks that were interested in this idea, uh, what the show would be like. Um, and it was re- well-received, thank God. And, uh, yeah, we ended up selling the show to FYI. And uh, season one was very successful, thank God, and now we're up to season two. And so what's special about this season, the first season, you didn't end up actually having any Orthodox couples, but now this season you do. Exactly. The first is the the final phase in the hands of the network. Mm-hmm. So the first season we offered the network many different couples, and they ultimately did not choose an Orthodox couple. Um, and you know, in a way that was disappointing, but in a way it was a drop of a relief because I got to see like, okay, let's see how this show comes out without putting the Orthodox couples on yet. Yeah. But um, it came out very nice, and and we got good reviews, and and I saw what I really like about it is that um, it, it's done in a very respectful way. We're not out to make fun of anyone. We're not out to say, like, wow, this culture is so weird. It's called a documentary series. It's, it's exploratory and just gives people a glimpse into these other couples' lives um, and into the lives of 
a, a subgroup, like a culture that you would never necessarily know anything about, you know. So, um, yeah, so the first season we had a gypsy couple, a southern couple, and an Indian couple. And now in season two we have an orthodox couple. They're not an orthodox, and they're doing great. <laughs> and how do you choose of the all the people that apply to uh, have their engagement and marry, you know, wedding featured here, what are you looking for in a couple that you're going to put on TV? Okay, so we're looking for a couple. First of all, we, we weed out a lot of couples because um, just because of logistics, like time frame. We need the couple to be engaged currently and then getting married within a certain window. So, for example, mm-hmm. if we were looking for couples in the fall, their wedding had to be between, I don't know, let's say December and February. So right away, uh, we weed out a lot of couples whose weddings are not in the time frame we need. Um, once we find couples that are, then we look at uh, TV presence. <laughs> you know, are they are they interesting? Are they well spoken? Are they fairly eloquent? Um, do they meet our requirements that their families are are pretty involved as well, and that um, that they're arranged somewhat. I mean, we use the term loosely. They're definitely not all these arranged marriages like you think of where daddy says, okay, tomorrow you have to marry this girl. But um, mm-hmm. they have to be fitting um, in, in the general arranged sense, and they have to have a strong cultural ties. And just be interesting and fun to look at on TV. You know, if you're going to welcome somebody into your living room for weeks and weeks, uh, you have to enjoy having them there. For sure. And um, we're just uh, we're about to wrap up. We're about to be out of time. Can you just tell us quickly, leave us quickly, what kind of feedback are you hearing from this, uh, this season so far? Oh, thank God. Great feedback. Lots of interest. Huge interest in the Orthodox community because they're so excited for the very first time ever in history there are Orthodox people on a major uh, network TV season. Um, and yeah, last season we were named in Esquire Magazine's 26 most watchable shows. We came out at number 11, so we're really excited about that. And yeah, good, good press so far, and we're just hoping for more in the future. Excellent. Well, um, it's really exciting to see how, I mean, really what started with just getting involved in your high school play led to you know, be, becoming a TV producer. It's pretty uh, pretty inspiring. I hope people listening at home, I hope some uh, 12th graders who are on their plays who are having a great time realize that, you know, really the sky's the limit if you are passionate about something and you don't know what it is that you're not supposed to do that you can kind of break those limits. So um, thank you so much for speaking with us today and best of luck on the rest of the season and on the rest of your career. And you can join us live for live audio and video broadcasts of the Celebrate Israel Parade on Sunday, June 5th, beginning at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, only on NahumSiegel.com. Together with our presenting sponsor, the American Committee for Shari Tzedek, NSN will present complete coverage of the parade live from the corner of 64th Street and 5th Avenue. Be sure to follow us on social media for all parade updates. Facebook at Nahum Siegel Network, Twitter, hashtag... Um, Nachum Siegel Net, all one word, and um, and on Instagram, Nachum Siegel Network, all one word. We will be using the hashtag, t- hashtag together, 
on 5th. Follow us along. And attention to the parents of high school and college students. Remind your child of the NSN Next Gen Photography Contest taking place during the parade. They need to take a picture about the parade or something that in their eyes embodies Jewish unity, brotherhood, and love of Israel. They will need to post the picture on Instagram and tag Nachum Siegel Network using the hashtag NSNextGen. The winner will be made a special social media photography correspondent, and the winning image will be showcased on the newly redesigned NahumSiegel.com. Thank you for listening, and you can catch us here same time, same place next week. Bye-bye. Okay, that was a good amount of time.